let me tell you, we are excited. We have a new look, Signs of the Times magazine, a new design, looks so fresh, looks so awesome, but I can't show it to you on radio or podcast. You're going to have to check out our website, signsofthetimes.org.au to get a bit of a hint of what it looks like and to subscribe for yourself. Coming up today, practicing faith. What if spiritual practice is less like claiming allegiance to a particular football club and maybe catching a game if you can now and again, and more like lacing up for training on the oval with the rest of the team. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. It's great to have with us for today's Signs of the Times Radio podcast, Nathan Brown, uh, book editor, journalist, uh, activist, agitator. How are you doing, Nathan? <laughs> uh, doing okay. And um, of course, one of my other claims to fame is former editor of Signs of the Times magazine. Well, that's right. Wow. We, um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're standing in the long shadow of, of Nathan Brown here. And, and I say that because you're, you're actually quite a, a tall guy. <laughs> and that's not unrelated to our topic of discussion. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's what we call a segue in the business, Nathan. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you're a bit, a bit of a basketballer and you, you wrote a, a story about that in the September edition of Signs of the Times. It's called Practicing Faith, but you start off talking about practicing basketball. So yeah, tell us about basketball. I'm really quite unsporting. <laughs> um, so what, what, what's the attraction? What, what's the deal? Well, I guess um, basketball has been my sport of choice for, you know, since high school days, <laughs> and um, that's a while ago now. Um, have spent a lot of time I- over the years running up and down basketball courts, and these days I play in an over thirties league, oh, which yeah. is pretty pretty social um, and um, pretty ugly sometimes. But um, yeah, it's a bunch of older guys that still enjoy the sport, and mm-hmm. I guess as much as anything, it's about fitness these days, as, mm-hmm. um, as being a champion or a, a lunch lunchtime legend or anything like that. Okay. So um, yeah, it's and of course it's a good social interaction in the local community and some of those kind of things so yeah, yeah but it's something that I've you know loved to do and enjoyed doing and it's been kind of the main sport that I've played for 20 something years <laughs> wow okay so if if I've got my facts right you grew up in Toowoomba is that right yeah, that, in that, sunny Queensland. So, so obviously, I mean, you're you're tall. Um, so you could have played AFL quite well, but obviously, Toowoomba is not much of an <laughs> AFL town. So, um, you know, being in Queensland, and also basketball was was the obvious thing. I I wonder if it might have been. AFL if you'd grown up in Victoria. Yeah. Well, very very likely the story could have been different. But, um, <laughs> yes, I've never played a – like I don't mind watching a little bit of AFL every so often, but I've never actually played even a semi-serious game of AFL. Oh, there you and, go. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it, it's something that I've come to later in life when I moved to, down to, um, to Melbourne where yeah. I live at the moment. Yeah. I, I guess what I've noticed about basketball is that it's an incredibly fast-moving game. I mean, the court isn't that long. And, and like with you, know, you big guys with your long legs, it seems like you sort of lope down the court in about five <laughs> strides and, and you're at the other end, you know. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you're at the opposition's basket and then grab the ball and you're at your basket. It gets pretty high scoring, doesn't it? It's not unusual to have sort of scores in the hundreds for, for each side. Is, is that right? 
Well, in the professional games, yeah. yeah. Uh, if we can get to 50 in a game in our league, we're doing pretty well. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. and, and there seems to be this incredible instinct that I notice that when I have played an occasional social game of basketball with, with people, I mean, I'm usually one of the worst players there, um, mm-hmm. but I notice guys just seem to be able to stand, they, they look like they're just standing around in the court, but the ball comes off the backboard or comes off the ring, you know, it, it misses, and it seems mm. to be bounce straight into their hands it's like they're just standing there and somehow it's automatic do you know what i mean Mm. have have you seen that yeah i mean it is something you learn in the game to that you to be in the position where the ball is most likely to be when Mm -hmm. you're going for rebounds and um and even just if you're blocking out other players which is you know you make sure that when a shot's going up you're between your opposition player and the basket that means it's it's more likely to fall to you than it is to them. So mm-hmm. um, that's something that, particularly if you're, you know, the, some, among the taller players on the team, um, that's kind of part of your job on, on the court. So it's something you're conscious of. Okay. And, um, that you, yeah, it be, kind of becomes second nature once you do it a lot, um, but is something that, yeah, is, is a learned uh, consciousness of the game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I actually think that there's probably a, a bit of a, a native intelligence sort of involved there. You know, people mm, talk about mm. IQ and then they talk about EQ, you know, emotional <laughs> intelligence. And I yep. often wonder if there isn't some sort of, I don't know, might call it kinetic intelligence or something. It's something that helps people to be aware of like things in motion, objects mm-hmm. interacting with one another, and they just have this instinct for it. And, and it is incredible, but it's, it mm. is very interesting what you say. It becomes second nature after after a while um is that what coaches do as they train you are they trying to you know build that muscle memory to sort of create that situation where you do things you know without thinking basically well as you mentioned it can be a very fast game Mm. and so what you need to do by practice and by repetition and by all those kind of things is you know, that your instinct is to do the right, you know, the best thing in that that situation because you don't have time to think it through and then choose out of various options. You've just got to react. Mm-hmm. And um, so that comes with as much as anything playing the game because sometimes in practice you, you know, you don't have the same kind of dynamics as you do when, you know, you're actually competing against another, you know, another team and another group of people that are, that are trying to do the same thing. So uh, pl- actually just time playing the game sometimes is there are things you can't do in practice that you that just you have to learn by playing the game okay oh that's uh, that's really really interesting and and i guess i mean the the obvious sort of way to go with with this discussion is you know your article was was about faith in the end Mm. and exploring how some of these themes from from training for basketball from playing basketball actually relate to our life of faith i mean that might not be an obvious sort of logical jump (laughs) for for some of our our listeners so can you explain what what you mean there like how you you know, came across that or why you decided to make that connection? We often have used the language of talking about practicing faith and mm-hmm. we talk about that in the sense of doing it. So someone might say this somebody, person's a, a practicing Anglican, for example. That's right, exactly. We use that kind of language and in other senses we talk about non-practicing or lapsed or, mm-hmm. you know, non-observant or whatever, the, you know, these different descriptors are applied sometimes to different uh, particular religious persuasions or, or, or tribes. Yeah, uh, it's funny, isn't it? Because like you, you can have a lapsed Catholic 
Mm. Like it used to be, it's always lapsed Catholic, but then you seem to have a, a non-practicing Anglican, you, you know what I mean? Or a non-practicing and a, Lutheran. And a non-observant Jew. And a non-observant Jew, that's right. And when it comes to Seventh-day Adventists, it's often ex-Adventist, which that's is right. which is stride <laughs> quite a strong term because it suggests that connection, that strong connection of family and, and connectedness that is within the Adventist denomination. And to be an ex-Adventist is, you know, like having an ex-wife, you know, there's a lot of emotion mm. tied up with that in a way that, you know, perhaps lapsed or non-observant, you know, doesn't have. I, I do find that language, yeah, really interesting. But sorry, we, we digress. Back, back, <laughs> Indeed. But it is point. fascinating how those different terms are, yeah, in a sense they mean the same thing, but they mm. are used significantly differently. And I think, you know, to call someone X is a much a harder description than to call someone, you know, non-practicing. Mm-hmm, because mm. there's kind of, there there is this kind of sense that you, you know, it makes it more black and white that you are or you aren't in mm. that sense. Yeah, so yeah. I think language is a fascinating thing in the way we use it sometimes. Well, that's that's, uh, that's why we're editors, Nathan, because we are fascinated by Because <laughs> we're fascinated by language, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and we're trying to find better ways to say things. Yep. So we, we, we kind of have this recognition or this, it's already there in this language, this idea about practicing or not practicing. Mm-hmm. Too often we simply mean doing or not doing. Yeah. You know, it's a polite way of saying that. But the bigger, uh, uh, and once again, this is a play on words to some degree, but I'm, mm. I've been fascinated by the idea of, you know, when we talk about practicing faith, to talk about it in a way like practicing piano or practicing basketball. Mm-hmm. And that by doing it, we get better at it. Yeah. And by, by not practicing it, we don't just stay the same, we actually get worse at it. Mm-hmm. And so when we start talking about language, you know, when we have conversations about faith and whether what that means for the world and whether that makes a difference to people's lives, I think that people, are, well, I'm sure that people, that faith isn't just this one thing, with, which is a yes or no question, because mm. people's experiences of faith are not the same. Yeah. And so someone who has spent their life practicing faith you know, as in getting better at it by repeating it, by doing it, by continuing to work at it and to focus their attention and efforts on it and, you know, to be intentional about getting better at it, faith for them is going to be an easier thing than faith for somebody that hasn't practiced it. And often, and I guess this is the other part of it, is that, and perhaps this is where the more black and white becomes in, because if you're not practicing faith, you're practicing something else. Uh-huh. Because we spend our lives doing things, you know, that's just the nature of what it means to be human. And if we're not doing this thing, we're actually spending our time doing another thing. And right. that's the thing we're practicing. Yep. So the reality is that we're probably practicing faith or we're practicing non-faith. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, and or, if we're practicing mm. non-faith, we'll get better at that too. Yep. Pra- practicing Netflix, perhaps. Practicing. Um, <laughs> that's yeah. right. <laughs> yes. Uh, Couch potatoing. Um, yeah. Okay. Mm. That's really interesting. So, back to basketball. You mm. you mentioned in your article that there was a time where, for for whatever reason, you you stopped training and you didn't play you know games for for quite a while, and then you got back on the court. What what happened? <laughs> well, uh, I think that's a pretty obvious kind of outcome. The reality (laughs) is that, you know, it's not the same. It's, you know, some of the things that you think you should be able to do. And, you know, the longer term contrast that I have in the article is that when I was at high school, I used to, you know, play two or three times a week. I'd, you know, probably muck around with basketball at lunchtime. I'd have the team trainings. You know, there might be 10 times a week where I'm got a basketball in my hands and I'm shooting and running up and down the court and some of those kind of things. 
And many years later, um, playing in an old man's league, mm-hmm. I turn up on Thursday night and I haven't thought about basketball since I was there the previous Thursday night. Yeah. And and that makes the experience of the game quite a bit different. Mm. Um, yeah, things aren't quite as smooth and it's not just that I'm older and slower, um, although that is true. The advantage of being tall is that while you get older and slower, you don't necessarily get shorter in a dramatic way. <laughs> yes. So I still have that natural advantage. <laughs> Uh, but when you just turn up and play, it makes a lot less sense than when you actually have the opportunity to do it on a more regular basis. Right. And so, yeah, I mentioned in the article, I think it was over Christmas just this past year, you know, we had a break over Christmas where there weren't any games and then I was overseas for a few weeks and for various reasons, I went from for fully three months between touching the basketball mm. and then turned up one Thursday night to have a run. And, of course, that is not necessarily pretty. <laughs> um, okay. And, you know, shots that you think should go in just don't feel quite right. And, of course, they don't tend to go in in the way they should. Mm-hmm. So, and so it's a really obvious kind of metaphor yeah. to if, if faith is feeling awkward, there might be some reasons for it. Mm. And one of those is, you know, what, what are we practicing? What are we investing our time and attention and focus in? Because I tend to think that if we actually invest time in building faith, in practicing faith in that sense, mm. then it does come to feel a little bit more natural and a little bit easier in that sense. Now, mm. it doesn't mean things, everything, life becomes easy and simple and there's no complicated bits and it's not hard at times even to maintain faith. Mm. But the more we practice it, the more likely it is to make sense for our lives. Okay. All right. Look, I, I think you know, you've you've made that point really clearly and 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 really well. That you know, in the same way that when we play basketball or another sport or a musical instrument, that you do develop this instinct, this muscle memory. Things just feel right. They they happen naturally, and that can happen with spiritual practices too. That's that's really clear. You've made that point really well. well mm. Where I'd like to take it though is a little bit more practically because over the the coming months, um, you're going to be writing a series of articles in Science of the Times magazine about various different spiritual disciplines. And there are a lot of them, you know, once you start to think about it. So, can you tell us about some of those different spiritual disciplines and what exact practices you're talking about when, um, you know, when you're talking about practicing faith in in the same sense of practicing the piano? Like, what sort of things are are we doing over and over in order to develop this instinct, to to develop this connection with God that that we're looking for? What, What are the actual practices involved when it comes to practicing faith? Mm. Uh, Yeah, and certainly there's a lot of traditional practices that are a part of all sorts of different faiths. And and I I guess one of the interesting things so far in the, and I've written, uh, I I think I've now written three articles for the series. We're working Mm. a little bit ahead. Mm. I've tried to just talk about faith as a human practice without necessarily you know, picking one set of theologies or one set of um, doctrines or even one denomination or even one, you know, whether we're talking about Christianity or Islam or Mm. Jewish faith or, you know, all the different faiths in the world. So far, I've just been, to an extent, just talking about faith as a human activity, a human phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kind of like talking in that sense. There are other things in the magazine that will talk about more specific aspects Mm. of Christian faith and, you know, specific beliefs that can help us 
uh, inform our faith. And I think one of the things is, you know, just an intellectual engagement with the ideas of faith is mm. one of those things that, you know, there are really serious studies that can be that can be followed through into the sacred text, the scriptures of uh, faith, uh, into um, theology, the philosophy, all of these things. Yeah, you can do PhDs on that kind of stuff. So, Mm. yeah, you can go all the way through as deep as you want to go studying with this kind of thing. So, is is that a spiritual practice though? If you you open your your Bible every day, for example, and you you read that as a part of a daily discipline, that's a spiritual practice. But but you're also saying you can can read other sort of spiritual books to explore deeper. You can go very academic if you want to. Yeah. It can be, yeah. yeah. But that's all. No, I'm not saying you need to be, I'm not saying, I'm definitely not saying that Mm. you need a PhD. PhD to be able to practice faith, mm. uh, you know, a PhD in theology or something like that. Yep. But all of those things have their place. Hmm. And, you know, in many faith traditions, the idea of learning is a significant part of growing faith, hmm. of practicing faith. Sure. Uh, similarly, there's lots of what we would, I guess, regard as religious practices, yeah. you know, worship services, sort of that kind of collective experience of faith and the, or the collective celebration of faith in that kind of sense, hmm. whether it's attending a church or, you know, those kind of things. And, and then prayer, something that we often talk about. And most, most faiths, most churches, most faith communities have some kind of sacraments or practices that are done on a regular, regular or semi-regular basis hmm. uh, that also are physical acts of faith. Hmm. Yeah, in Christian tradition, the practice of communion. Hmm. Yeah, one of the things that I find fascinating about it is that it's, you know, you can't get much more physical than smelling, tasting, touching, eating. Hmm something that is a symbol of, of who Jesus was and what he was about. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's such a physical act, but that, you know, it's kind of in many, many Christian traditions is the high point of our reflection on and our engagement with the story of Jesus and who he was mm. and who he is and the hope that we can have because of that story. And so that is a practice of faith that is very physical, yeah. very interactive and engaging in all those kind of ways. And uh, but also has that very spiritual element to it as well, and that I think is just you know in many traditions that is kind of the high point of the practice of faith. Mm-hmm. Okay, so some it sounds like some spiritual pursuits are very individual. I mean, if if you're reading a you know a, a heavy spiritual sort of book, it's something that's kind of best done alone. But something like you know taking the bread and the wine in a, in a communion, you know, or Lord's Supper sense is something that seems to work better in in a group setting is is that the case you know that some spiritual disciplines are best practiced alone some are best practiced in groups and should we perhaps rethink you, you know the things we do do in groups or alone and maybe switch it up yeah i think well i certainly think that there's opportunities for all those kind of i think one of the problems we have in our society particularly western society is simply our individualization yeah and uh i think there's so much opportunity to do more in as, as groups, religion is the coming together of faith, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's the public practice of faith. And so I think that we should, do, we should be alert to those things. And the idea that people say, you know, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. We've all heard that a thousand times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, it's such a dumb statement when it comes down to it because it doesn't make any sense because any time you're – basically you're saying, I like feeling good about being spiritual, but I don't want to be accountable – or interact with anybody else 
mm. in that context. Or, or, or offer assistance to anyone else in, in their right. spiritual life, yeah. Whereas, you know, for our faith to actually make a difference in the world and to matter, it has to be religious in that sense that it is something that impacts community and has, mm. a, has a reality in community. You know, faith doesn't make sense if it's just about us trying to conjure up nice feelings or good ideas within ourselves. Mm. That doesn't make sense. And even in the broader picture of faith, we have this idea that faith is, you know, it's often talked about in Christian circles and in other circles as a relationship between us and God or the divine or however we talk about that. That takes us outside ourselves. So immediately there's a communal aspect to that faith. There's a relational aspect to faith. And that, of course, is, should not be about us because if we claim that we have a relationship to the divine or to God, other people must also be able to have that relationship. And so that common relationship that we have must draw us together with those other people. Yeah. So basically it's a cop-out to say I don't want to be accountable or to be responsible for or responsible to mm. anybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that, that's fair enough. And faith, that's the point of faith, is to be responsible to and for other people. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's the key thing. Yeah. Now, some, you mentioned spiritual practices that are very much, you know, the tradition of, of various religious, you know, beliefs around the world. And we sort of know about those, you know, reading the Bible, praying, me- meditating, um, you know, going to Mecca, whatever it is. Mm. Um, but are there other aspects of life that we might see as, as everyday, I mean, such as, you know, just having a meal with someone or, or going for yeah. a walk or trying to eat healthy, for example, the sorts of things that non-religious people do all the time. Are there, are there ways to turn everyday activities into spiritual practices? Yeah, definitely. And I think that is almost more important than some of those other things at times, at least, is that what we do every day should be done with the consciousness of the practice of faith. Mm. That, you know, someone once said to me, you know, how you really judge your life is, what do you think about as you're lying in bed and waiting for sleep? Mm-hmm. What are the things that fill your mind in that moment? They are the things that really are the things that drive your life. They are the things that matter to you. They, you know, to a, at least in a sense, they are the things that are your God. And so to live with a consciousness of faith and a consciousness of some kind of relationship to God or to the divine or to even to other people Mm. is that ongoing practice of faith. And that is transformative of everything that we do. And so when we recognize that we have responsibilities to God, responsibilities to others, Mm. uh, responsibilities to the world around us as, as a larger kind of organism in that sense, you know, everything we do is a practice of faith when that comes down to it, when it's done with that consciousness and that mindset. So, you know, how we, you know, you're talking about being healthy, the choices that we make each day, how we treat others, how we serve others, how we go out of way to actually look for those who society often neglects or marginalizes, and how we can seek to serve them and to lift them up, mm. uh, to hear their stories not to be a voice for the voiceless because everybody has a voice. It's just that some people's voices aren't heard or listened to yeah. in places where of power and places where those voices need to be heard. Yeah, so true. if we have that opportunity, we have we have a then a responsibility to speak up for people who are you know pushed to the edges or pushed down or the oppressed or. Um, the exploited or those who suffer injustice in the world. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, again, is a practice of faith and something that, again, we get better at by doing it. 
Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Hey, just one more question before we finish up, Nathan. Some of our listeners might be thinking to themselves, yeah, I kind of, I kind of get it and I feel like you know, perhaps I should pray more often, or maybe I should read my Bible more often, or perhaps I should, you know, be involved in, you know, some sort of, you know, meditation process more often, you know, meditating on scripture is, is a part of Christian tradition as well as meditation mm. being in, in other traditions. But they say, when I do it, I feel like I'm going through the motions. I feel like it's fake in some ways. I feel like my heart isn't in it. And, and what our, I guess what our society often tells us, this individualistic society you're talking about is that, look, if it doesn't feel right, it's not you, you should just let it go. But I think like when you talk about basketball, you know, it doesn't mm. always feel natural when they tell you that, no, you need to hold the ball this way, not that way, or you need to dribble this way, not that way. And, but over time, mm. it sort of becomes more natural. Is it, is it the same deal with, with spiritual practices? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the, the term spiritual disciplines mm. earlier and discipline has that kind of thing of that we do something that might not feel like the natural thing for us to do, but over time and with practice, it does become maybe sometimes it never becomes natural in that sense, mm. but it becomes a more a part of who we are and we, come, we become a more a part of what that is actually about. You know, mm. We are changed by that process. And so, I mean, I think there are spiritual disciplines of doing hard things mm. and things that actually don't, you know, we might not choose to do, but we recognize that, you know, for some reason and based on our understanding of faith, this is a good thing to do. Mm. And as you say, sometimes prayer can feel like it doesn't work and it doesn't get us anywhere or, you know, we're trying to read the Bible in, in, in a Christian sense and, you know, we're stuck in numbers or <laughs> um, lamentations or yep. somewhere in the Bible that is that can be a little dispiriting to spend a lot of time in. But, sure. you know, with practice, with learning, with interacting with others, those things, you know, maybe – Maybe it isn't ever going to be our favorite Bible versus Numbers 1151. Mm. Don't ask me what that is. But, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, there, there's, some, there's some obscure stuff. And I actually think that, I mean, this is heading down a whole different direction. But, mm. you know, ancient scriptures are a part of most religions. Yeah. And it's actually their ancientness and their how dislike they are to us that is their most sometimes their most significant mm. impact upon us because it you know again we can be so self-referential so colonized by the society in which we live and the culture that surrounds us that getting some kind of input into our lives that feels dramatically different mm. but that is still based on a good found foundation based on somebody else's understanding of the reality of god and his actions in history in some even if it is a long way off in a different culture a different time in a different place the reality of that can speak to us in a way that just hearing something that sounds the same as everything else around us mm. won't mm. ever do and so sometimes it's the it's the difficult and the unnatural that actually has the most transformative impact on us because that can that can que cause us to question some of the things that are pushed at us as kind of the assumed of how life is, you know, what's important and meaningful in life that mm, gets pushed at us mm. through the media and through our culture. Wow. You know, we need things that, that question that and cause us to kind of look at them in different ways. Wow, that's that. That is really challenging. That that is really taking it in in a new direction. I think stepping outside of your basketball metaphor, Nathan, but <laughs> but still very very challenging and very thought provoking. So yeah, thanks so much uh, for for your article and for your interview today for chatting with us on Signs of the Times Radio. Not a problem. Thanks for the opportunity. 
Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast.